The Incomparable. Number 552. February 2021. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I'm your host, Jason Snell, and this is one of our episodes where we talk about a movie by Hayao Miyazaki, the classic Japanese animation director. And, yep, it's going to get weird because we're talking about 2008's Hanyo, a movie about a love affair between a human being and a goldfish. It's true. It's true. Uh, Joining me to talk about Hanyo are these wonderful people. Aline Sims. Hello. Ponyo likes ham. Ponyo <laughs> loves ham. Gene McDonald's also here. Hello. Gene does not like seafood, but otherwise like this movie. <laughs> mm, don't don't eat Ponyo and you'll be fine. Yeah. Uh, Steve Lutz is here. Hi, Steve. Hi, Jason. Uh, all I have to say is Ponyo, 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 Ponyo. I don't know the Japanese <laughs> lyrics other no. than Ponyo, but I, that's really all you need to know. That's you, you took me back to watching this movie by, just by doing that. And of course, I wouldn't talk about a Miyazaki movie without with my uh, the guy who... I did a whole podcast about all the work of Hayao Miyazaki <laughs> with just the two of us. John Syracuse is here. Hi, John. I'm just excited to end all human life and usher in a new era of the sea. I hope we can do that on this podcast tonight. It's possible. We can We can try. We can hope. Ponyo is a weird movie. <laughs> um, I Before this, I watched it. It was the second time I've seen it. My recollection from the first time I watched Ponyo was that it was just super weird and I didn't know what to think of it. And I was kind of uh, put off by it. Uh, I didn't have that sense this time. I delighted in the weirdness. I came in prepared for weirdness and it gave me weirdness. And I said, yeah, movie, keep being weird. Just give me all the weird. I'll take it. Um, it is it is a strange take on the Little Mermaid, essentially, about a fish that sort of becomes a human um, and falls in love with a, a little boy, in this case, who lives on land. Um, it's also about weather, because, check. Um, <laughs> there, are, are, there are no flying machines. There's definitely... There sure is a is airplane. There... Don't you think, you think he's going to get out of the whole movie without having one, and then just towards the end, you're like, oh, there it is. Oh, okay. Uh, there, there is lots of wind, weather... Always a problem. Weather. There's weather flooding. There's a lot more waves than usual, though. More waves, more boats than usual. We get the ecological theme, of course, because it's Miyazaki. A lot of of stuff in here. Uh, My question is mostly, boy, should I even say this now? They seem to live on a very tall cliff in this island. (laughs) It's it's right in the title of the movie. Uh, Yeah, and, and the water goes all the way up to the house. And unless there's like a mound of water right ab- right around their house, I feel like at that point the water's come up so high that the worlds must have flooded away. The entire there is a plot point world. at one point where they say that the moon is coming too close to the earth and it is pulling the water yes. up into a crazy tide. And so there's your bulge right there. It's right at their house. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I mean, that's where Ponyo is. So, you know. That is where Ponyo is. Should, should I, dare I? Walk through the storyline, the walk well, through the plot on, here. On the topic of the storyline, I was trying opening, to opening statements. Then John, I, I, was, I was trying to uh, to come up with like a, a coherent sort of graph timeline of Miyazaki movies <laughs> okay. and their all release right. dates versus okay. a particular criteria, and that criteria is narrative coherence. All right, because you, not... you were going to say co- a coherent, and I thought you meant regarding Ponyo, and I was going to be like, don't do it to yourself, but to a timeline to Miyazaki's career. Yeah, Got so it. like on one, on one axis is time, the other axis is narrative coherence, but it's not a straight graph. But in general, I feel like as time has marched on, he has 
either felt more comfortable or just ended up making a higher percentage of movies with far less narrative coherence than you would imagine something called the movie would have to have. Mm -hmm. If you look at the really early ones, it's very straightforward. Like we just did Castle of Cagliostro um, and, you know, or Nausicaa, Castle in the Sky. Like those are very straightforward narratives, like easy to explain, map out, and, you know, sort of what we're used to in a story. Uh, And the things eventually just start to go off the rails a little bit. And you get these movies that are much more like tone poems than any kind of narrative. Uh, In in some respects, the reason it's not an an even slope is things like Totoro were like that, too. Like a hint that this was possible, right? Or even things like Whisper of the Heart, which was, you know, directed by someone else, but I think written by Miyazaki. Mostly a straightforward narrative, but also not really... uh, interested in doing you know conflict climax the the whole thing right but even something like spirited away is very much in the spirit of ponyo where it's like well a bunch of stuff happens and the movie ends you know so i i feel like narrative coherence has become less important to him as a director as time has gone on and this movie i'm not gonna say suffers the most from lack of narrative coherence but it it stands out the most to me that i feel like this movie could have used a little bit more narrative coherence. I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to get into final mm. judgments quite yet. All right. But that's 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 my overarching statement about Ponyo. Part of the reason it's I waited this long to recommend that we watch it is because this one never really sat well with me. And we'll get into all the weird stuff and everything like that. And I think everything we say about this movie you're gonna say, yeah, well so there's like fifty other movies that are just like that. So what's the difference in Ponyo? I don't know what the difference is. I'm sure we'll, <laughs> <laughs> we'll but I feel like there is a difference. I feel like this this movie uh, does not hang together as well as some of the other ones. No, and my my observation on that front was that um, of all the Miyazaki movies we've seen, this is the one where it's, and and I'm sure we'll get to this, but uh, this is the one where the ending is the most abrupt and and there's a sudden cramming of an attempt to produce a plot (laughs) that was not there throughout the movie. And then all of a sudden the movie's over and, and, you know, it's, this is far, far worse than the, Oh, the scarecrow was the missing prince all along. Goodbye. <laughs> um, it's it's just that we forgot to put a plot in, and then at the end we realized we needed some sort of a plot, and so there's this crazy contrivance that happens, and then the movie's over. And I, I, I think this is probably the most egregious of the ones we've seen in that respect. Yeah, Hal has too many plots. This doesn't have enough. <laughs> well, I, I think you could argue that the lack of plot coherence sometimes can be a, a virtue for Miyazaki. Yeah, no, that's what I'm saying. Like a tone poem is not an insult. I mean, even think of something like Kiki. Was there's just a series of vignettes. Or exactly. Like small stories and events. But the, it, the thing is, to do that well, like Totoro, same deal. Like a bunch of stuff happens. Totally. And there's a climactic thing that happens that is, you know. But anyway, like, does it hang together as a whole? I guess what I'm looking for. Right. Now, yeah, right. and I, I take your point. That was that was what I was going to say. Is you could argue that, but I think there there is sometimes an attempt to impose... Um, a storyline on a movie that doesn't necessarily work or it doesn't work for the audience. And, 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 you know, Ponyo may be struggling with, with some of that too. If you have an idea for a story in the beginning, like if you just have that overarching idea, then you just make that movie and it's all about the details. But if your idea is just more of a feeling and you're, and you're an intuitive movie maker, like Miyazaki is like, if you watch a lot of the making of stuff, it's probably, you know, heretical from the point of view of any sort of traditional movie making where he's like, he hasn't figured out what the plot is, and he he's making the plot as he does storyboards. It's like in Wallace and Gromit, where he where uh, he's putting down the tracks in front of him as he's riding the train. That's his movie making technique, right? And it is mind boggling that anything remotely coherent, let alone successful, ever comes out of that. 
but sometimes you know he's got a story up front i feel like i mean nausicaa had done he'd done the comic book series for years so that was just you know it's a matter of condensing and, and putting that out or, or castle in the sky very straightforward story you've got the the bones of that you just go with it but all the other ones that are like I just have this feeling about a character and about a scene or an emotion or a picture in my head, and I'm going to make a two-hour movie out of that. And sometimes it lands and sometimes it doesn't. Yeah, and this movie feels like he got to the very last page of storyboards before he remembered he was supposed to put a plot in the movie. I mean, I could argue maybe don't then, right? Like, yeah. I mean, some movies don't. Like, some movies just <laughs> they just end. I mean, like, it, you really, you have to have some, well, we'll get it. I think you should try to go over the plot because right. the ending thing throws in a lot of details that, you know, throws in a bunch of facts that are not in evidence in court parlance. It's like, well, wait a second. <laughs> yep. um, but in general, the idea, like, there's Ponyo, she's from the sea, she wants to be human, she loves ham and Sosuke. Uh, and then there's some sort of ecological dealy thingy in the background that comes to a head and it needs to resolve. And so we need to make up a bunch of BS rules about how it's going to resolve and it's resolved. No, it's a, it's very much a Poochie died on his way to the, his home planet kind of moment. <laughs> it's like, I guess he was from another planet. I, I don't know. I mean, okay. Like it is all dropped on you and you're just like, all right, but we'll get there. So, so, uh, hey, Jason, I might start this off for you. Oh, are you are you doing are you kicking it no, off? No, I'm not going to be... do the synopsis. I don't I don't I'm not prepared for that kind of a mess. But uh, my my first bullet point I think is a good indication of how weird this movie is going to get, uh, which just reads: Far beneath the sea, a skinny man in a bubble is dripping goo onto plankton, while his daughter, who is apparently a goldfish but looks more like a nightgown with a human head, <laughs> floats to the surface on the back of a moon jelly. Mm-hmm. So that's how our movie starts out, and yep. it doesn't get any more. Uh, reasonable from that point on that's uh pretty solid pretty solid steve that's pretty much it um i wanted to point out in this in this segment too that uh the the ponyo's father the father of all these fish nightgown people <laughs> um is a magician uh or a sorcerer or something you can tell he's a david bowie you can tell in miyazaki movies who the magician is because they got long wild hair and a stripy suit, and that yes, means they're they magic. Cheekbones, cheekbones, sure. I, mean, I just have to say that Howl is much more handsome than this dude. Yeah. Well, <laughs> this guy doesn't know when to stop with the eyeliner. Is the problem? Yeah. He's, he's he's going. He's much more glam, and he's also older and a little yeah. bit yeah. pointier features, and not not a particularly attractive man slash uh, X man. He, he's not trying to attract some young. Uh, character though either he's a dad he's attracting yeah. the entire sea literally <laughs> bad and dad he, sorcerer dad yep he really likes his contouring palette too he's got the <laughs> eyeliner the contouring <laughs> and the cheekbones and it's just you know a very stark look he's got to compete with that squid that changes colors and how can you well he's apparently no longer human which may account for some yeah of that's his, what i'm saying like weirdness. he's an ex-human i'm x-man i don't know what not not those kind of x-men <laughs> Ex-human, he might Legally be that distinct. Too. He relinquished his humanity, uh, and and he's a scientist, and he lives underwater with his daughter, who is is Ponyo, but <clears throat> he calls her uh, Brunhilde. Mm-hmm. A beautiful name. I mean, he, pr- he produced that child with a giant queen of the sea mm-hmm. somehow, and also but, apparently and thousands sisters? of other smaller versions yes. of that mm-hmm. child, right. which Yes. We never really get an explanation for. Uh, and my notes, Steve, say, here comes a fish person and other little fish people. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think we're done with the plot. Yeah. Uh, so we, we skipped over the credit sequence here, sequence which I think is actually interesting because Miyazaki does stylize credit sequences, but I've never this abstract, I feel like. The whole mm. business with the waves and the line art and, and the very sort of 
moody music, you know, that whole deal. Um, and I think that it sets a good mood. This is after the opening jellyfish sequence. Then you've got these, you know. They're almost like colorized woodcuts. Like most of his credit sequences, it's not, it's not arbitrary. It kind of tells the story of the movie where you see these giant sea creatures and the waves are dwarfing humanity and humanity's constructions. And at some point, dozens of tiny phalluses swim out of a castle underwater. <laughs> it's just, it's all there, right? Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I think it's noteworthy in that even the credit sequence is more sort of artsy and abstract than the more straightforward movies, which just show, you know, some scene or action or backstory or whatever. The uh, So so this lost um, fish person uh, ends up in a in a jar and is on the uh, the shore of of a human p- town how did she end up in a jar jason well surprise or, everybody the ocean is horribly polluted can right. you imagine oh, a jar what's uh-huh. that doing in my ocean Let's well after show a after trawler. the fisherman after the fishermen right who, who are, it all up, are yeah. killing all the fish right all and the, all the garbage yep from the exactly of the sea. well but there's a little boy on the uh, on on the the uh, the rocks there who who's probably risking death in his Mother should yeah. probably not <laughs> let him we'll, be we'll down there. We'll discuss the the parenting uh, yeah. acumen. His mother uh, has little regard for safety yeah. of any kind. Yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah. you would think like you would yeah. think like, Ponyo is the one with like eighty five siblings. He's the only one. She's really got to watch that. <laughs> she kid. needs a backup. She's she's stuck in the in the jar and all that. John, he might not have been the only one. Come to think oh. of it, oh, <laughs> it's just the <laughs> He's last the only one. one left. <laughs> He's the only one that so far has survived her driving. So uh, so he sees he sees this fish fish person with a jar in his head and says a goldfish and I. I, I wrote down, I, I guess, if you say so. It doesn't look like a goldfish to me. <laughs> the, the worst part is, at one point, I think there is a fish on the screen that is essentially a goldfish. So it's not like in this world they don't know what a goldfish looks like, but this does not look anything like a goldfish. But no. kids, what do they know? He's so, five, yeah. Right. like yeah. He thinks all fish are goldfish, apparently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is part of what makes the, the Miyazaki movies uh, tolerable, even when they're nonsensical. It's like So when he's by the shore and he sees her in the little jar... The little thing he does where he kicks off his sneakers behind him is adorable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he he rescues her, cuts his hand. She licks the cut in his hand, causing it to heal. This is great. Um, so the, but then the the ocean is angry. Waves come in and they've got eyes. And they're going to get you. And, and now Ponyo has a taste for human blood. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. And the wind. Watch out for the wind. We know winds are bad. The waves are apparently. The waves have eyes. It's a good thing that her taste for human blood is not as voracious as her taste for ham, because Sosuke would be done. Well, At least all out of kids. We just established that she's a carnivore. Yeah. So, uh, but uh, they don't they don't use weed killer around his house. Uh, he goes. He he takes he takes her <laughs> oh takes her home and uh, up the steps to their house on the side of a cliff and fills a thing with water and puts her in it. And uh, we get a, a lot of interesting lines, like his mom saying, "She sure is pretty." Okay. Okay. <laughs> and the response is, yeah, I think I'll call her Ponyo. She might be magic. Okay. I don't. All right. Her whole character design creeps me out. <laughs> the Ponyo <laughs> or the mom? <laughs> okay. Which part of Ponyo creeps you out? Because I have a particular part that I it's, find disturbing, but which part? It's, it's having the face, like the human esque face. And then later on, when she's like, I guess, learning how to look human and she's got like many chicken feet sticking out yes. like, <laughs> the chicken feet are bad mm-hmm. yeah like like her that whole bit is 
incredibly uncomfortable for me. And like as a human, when she's fully embodying like a human child um, is fine. But like, how do you feel about her feet that are like hands at that point? <laughs> you know, honestly, that doesn't bother me as much as like the chicken. The chicken. It's just, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the thing that bothers me about her character design when she's in fishing mode is uh, like they, you can get away with this because it's animation but what the heck is the bottom end of ponyo right so she's got a yeah. little red nightgown and she's got a head and she's got hair and she's got eyes and she's swimming around and the back of her is wiggling but the bottom of it is just opaque white so does she just end in a flat stump like <laughs> like i don't understand like is she like a pencil eraser well give, given this movie's origins i think we should just be glad that it's not like a panty that she's wearing I mean, maybe it is. Maybe it's fish panties. I don't know. Oh, maybe it is. <laughs> anyway, I, another another uh, th- adorable thing in this is the the uh, Ponyo on the Cliff by the Sea. Their, uh, their house up on the cliff with the grass blowing in the wind and everything is also adorable. Another one of the many places in the Miyazaki movies that I would love to visit and or live. But maybe not mm-hmm. when the waves are lapping at the Well, it's door. the only place still above water. So if you're going to have to pick somewhere on the island to go, <laughs> that's the place to be. Plus they have ham. Yeah, she's kind of like a Pac-Man ghost is what I was thinking. Yeah, flappy. but what's in the bottom of a Pac-Man ghost? Are they hollow inside? Is it flat-bottomed? Like, is it sealed? <laughs> they uh-huh. probably are hollow inside. It would explain their behavior. Mm. I don't know. I think she's kind of adorable as a fishy and as a human. Mm. But yeah, I agree with that. The chicken legs are a little off-putting. And the fact that as she's transitioning between the two, like, her face becomes a various-sized bubble with the features kind of mm. moving around in a disconcerting way. Yeah, well, she's got the lizard mouth. She ends up getting like a muzzle at various points. <gasps> oh, we'll get to later when she has like a muzzle mouth. It looks like a lizard mouth with no teeth. I felt like this time for seeing it, I I could see more fish in Ponya than I could, and less nightgown, like the way that the character swam, huh. you know, and like that the tail, there was a tail there. It was you know, in our eyes, made out of nightgown, but, you know, t- fishtails can be kind of, uh, you know, diaphanous and like underwear. Um, and also her expression, when they would get her from a side shot, looking up, the there was kind of like the kind of overbite jaw look that you would, you expect from like a fish, um, more, more jaw, less like, knows um and i thought okay i can kind of see the fish thing here this time so both their parents look like humans though so it's very it's also a very confusing mm. lineage well, how do you end up with a fish this episode of the incomparable is brought to you by express vpn now in the real world if you're looking for privacy you close the door lower the blinds but online we leave doors open and blinds up Everywhere we go, using the internet without ExpressVPN is like never closing doors behind you. And who does that? Monsters, that's who. Monsters. Your internet service provider like Comcast or Verizon knows every single website you visit. And if they want to, they can sell that information to ad companies and tech giants. ExpressVPN creates a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet so that your online activity cannot be seen by anyone. Now, I've been using ExpressVPN for a couple of years. One tap on my iPad is all it takes. It does give me a great deal of peace of mind to know that I've relocated and people don't know where I am or who I am and that nobody running my network, whether it's a cafe or a hotel or a rental or my ISP at home, knows what I'm doing. ExpressVPN works on everything, too. Phones, laptops, like I said, my iPad works great, even on routers. 
so everyone who shares your Wi-Fi can still be protected even if they're not running ExpressVPN themselves. And the best part is using ExpressVPN is as easy as closing that door. Just fire up the app, click one button, and you're protected. And ExpressVPN is the world's number one rated VPN by CNET, Wired, The Verge, and many others. If you're like me and you think your online activity is your business, secure yourself by visiting expressvpn.com slash Snell today. Go to expressvpn.com slash Snell and you'll get an extra three months for free. That's expressvpn.com slash Snell. Thank you to ExpressVPN for sponsoring The Incomparable. Ponyo's dad is there with his uh, water sprayer um, mm-hmm. and, and there's a close encounter there, but they drive down off, off the cliff and Ponyo is with them because Ponyo has found, uh, the place she was born to be in, which is a green plastic bucket. <laughs> <laughs> with fresh water in it. The Ponyo bucket. point that out. Oh, that's true. That came out of the tap, didn't it? Yeah, that's well, bothered well, me was throughout. was the tap by the side of the house? Maybe they have a saltwater tap along with the fresh water. I don't know. Ponyo is very resilient. If we learned anything, Ponyo is very resilient. She goes from the ocean up on a jellyfish to eating ham within like an hour. She might be magic. (laughs) That's the answer. She might be magic. It's always the answer. I mean, yeah. At that point, she has has drunk some of his blood, and so it's in her DNA, so she's already sort of transitional, but it's a good thing she doesn't (laughs) drown, I guess, because of that. Well, uh, this is when we learned some important points about Ponyo. Ponyo really likes to eat ham. Mm-hmm. Not Just, not a fan of bread. No, nah, does not like bread, which nope. is weird for a fish because you think it's it's little bread bits, right? <laughs> right, but that's really what, that's what Soski is going for. He's trying to give her a little piece of his uh, his bread on his sandwich, and she says no, no, no bread. But the ham, Ponyo wants ham. Mm-hmm. All the ham. We learn that 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 Sosuke's mom is always late and has a cool little hatchback. And I know people are going to throw a lot of shade at her driving, but I think she is an amazing driver, and she should have an entire series where she just races away from criminals in that <laughs> tiny little hatchback. Yeah, well, the fact that she survives it makes makes her a better driver than you might think. She's she's amazing. She the, the whole movie should just be her driving that car. That's all I want to say. <laughs> I love her and her character design. I love that it's Tina Fey in the dub. Um, I enjoy I enjoy that character a lot. I love the driving. I love that that car is just making hairpin turns around <laughs> steep cliff sides while she eats and ha- and and hands multitasks is giving her child who's in the front seat in a car seat by the way, which doesn't really make a lot of sense. But yeah. she's she's got the sandwiches made. She's handing the sandwich to the kid, making sure the kid's got the sandwich, and putting one eye on the road and driving way too fast around those cars. Also, she makes some some very bad driving decisions later, where she goes through through uh, through water when you're which oh, you're not I supposed to do. I have things to say about that. You are not supposed to do that, but that is a that is Chekhov's special uh, bridge <laughs> over the over the, uh, the the harbor because here. Here at the very beginning of the movie in a very cool scene because it's like nothing I've ever seen before in real life they have to stop so that the ship can go or she she goes in front of the ship but like they've got this mm-hmm. this road part of the islands that they're on where they have to cross over this place that ships come in and so there's like a it's it's like a drawbridge or it's an extended kind of bridge thing it's a dry, and, I think it's a dry dock they said dry dock okay, yeah the ship's sure. being dry docked so the Which ship has to come in and, and, and the, there could be water there and that's later where she goes in one of those that's the uh, where there's lots of, of uh, heavy running water water and she just uh, goes on in and uh you know risks death because uh she's a daredevil she's a daredevil that's what i'm I saying don't know. There's, there's there's a lot in this movie that makes me anxious considering it's supposed to be <laughs> yeah. sort of a fun romp and her driving particularly in the typhoon later but pretty yes. much all along as she's leaning over and licking uh sosuke's ice cream cone <laughs> that's and, the best <laughs> uh, and, and, Peeling out on the back of a wave. 
her incredible confidence as she does that should put you at ease to say, even though this looks ridiculous and like you should never do this, she's cool as a cucumber. It she's does not, cool. in fact, make me at ease. It makes yeah. me very one, upset. One, speaking of being at ease, one thing about the, the, the original audio, the original version of this, is that Sosuke calls her Lisa, does not call her mom, mm-hmm. the Japanese word for mom or anything, calls her Lisa. Uh, and I think she calls that da- uh, he calls his dad Koichi, Koichi or whatever yeah. his name is as well. And I have no explanation for that. I've watched a lot of Japanese animation, and as far as I'm aware, it is not common for you know five year olds in Japan to call their parents by their first names. So maybe I'm wrong. They're just very bohemian. They're they're like hippies. That's my I I grew up with uh, my best friend in elementary school. His parents were hippies, and he called them by their first names. So I mean, I suppose. <laughs> Maybe like is that they have hippies in Japan? I guess. Well, they certainly have an unusual lifestyle at the very least. I think so. I think that that this is a yeah. They're maybe meant to be read as being a little unusual. Yeah, the fact that they're at the peak and a little bit off the grid, you know, and they've got propane and everything prepared for. I mean, they're they're basically preppers, I guess. They do have the the best house in the entire island too. I wonder where that Mm. came from. And she just lets the child wander. Like, there's a lot of unconventional parenting yes. happening. Well, that's free-range children. I mean, like, where are they going to go? They're on an island. Sure, mm-hmm. maybe they'll wander off into the ocean and drown, but, you know, mm-hmm. you lose a few kids every day. It's fine. And the reason their house is the best house on the island is it's the only one that doesn't have to be rebuilt every time mm-hmm. there's a tsunami. <laughs> yeah. They they, uh, they go to the, the old folks' home um, where, where uh, Ponyo is hidden for a while in the bushes, um, and there's school- going to school and the old folks home is conveniently right next to the school, which is great for daycare purposes because you can just both drive to the same place right. and he goes to the school exactly. and she goes to work. Leading later to a great interaction between somebody at the old folks home who says, I'd let a fish lick me if it would get me out of this wheelchair. I mean, wouldn't we all? <laughs> Yep. Like that's an easy trade. Like there's there's the thing. There's a lot of these movies where there's some minor plot element that you realize <laughs> if existed in real life would be world breaking, which is like this fish can heal people? Yeah. Why are we worried about anything else? I guess you're I'll worried tell about you why, sea, John. I'll tell you why. Rising. Because fish with faces cause tsunamis. That's what they say. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that is also a reasonable uh, thing to worry about because right. there is a very big water event when you see the fish with the face. So I could put the two and two together. But well, let's and not, she's but, right. I mean, Toki is the, first of all. This is clearly the only woman who who c- can recognize that it's weird that she's looking at a fish with a face. Yes. <laughs> but and second, but, she correctly prognosticates that that means something horrible is on the way, and. In in this case, it's sort of a tsunami. But Sosuke is sitting on this, oh, this thing can heal you by licking you, which is, I feel like is a really important point, and just Ponyo should spend the rest of her days licking people. <laughs> Ooh. Okay. Mm. <laughs> yeah. For Ponyo, not for us. <laughs> so uh, now Ponyo talks. She escorts the friends at the school, the little girl who was being a little bit... Uh... That cracked me up. Yeah, she calls Ponyo fat, at least in the subs, and that's... Yeah. Ponyo spits on her new dress as a result. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like so he drops off to daycare, but he doesn't really spend much time being cared for by anyone at daycare because he immediately runs back outside to deal with his fish he's hidden, which is totally a little kid thing to do. But yep. the adults are just like, oh, where's Sosuke? I don't know. We don't take roll or anything like <laughs> somewhere. He might be over visiting his mom, whatever. We'll figure it out. So uh, she's Ponyo. She loves ham and she can do magic. She, yeah, love her. She gets reverse kidnapped by her father, the magician, I guess. Kidnapped back. I don't know. Uh, yeah, this is after Sosuke takes her. She's taking her down to the water. We got the the uh, what do you call the sea roaches? Those are awesome. On the oh, oh, God. Oh, those no. guys. That also That's makes me anxious. <laughs> yeah. Best. 
Um, yeah. Yeah. Also, this is this is the point in the movie where I wrote this down. Just going to just going to say what I wrote down. I guess this means that magician had sex with a goldfish? Question mark. All right. Turns but, out but he's married to he's married to the queen of the sea. Right? Turns out that's what it is. He's it's not necessarily married to. Well, her, I don't know. It, they they produce Ponyo's parentage. They produce Ponyo and the uh, many sea, other small. That- fish people the sort of human-like appearance that she has may just be what she puts on when she deals with humans she might have a, a different form that she maintains most of the rest yeah, of the time yeah she's pretty big anyway she now uh de- demands she that she is ponyo well when 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 she gets kidnapped this is when sosuke like because you know ponyo gets reverse kidnapped by her dad yep uh, but then sosuke just walks out like walking out into the sea to try to chase after Ponyo, and luckily Lisa happens to be looking over the giant uh, cement edge of the cliff and see there's my child walking, walking out until walking he's underwater yep. and he can no longer stand. And she goes into the water and grabs him and picks him up and brings him back. And I think it's supposed to be showing her as a sort of can-do mom of like mm-hmm. my kid is in danger, I'm going to go rescue him. But really, the problem is. Why did we get to the point where your child is 60 <laughs> yards from shore and his head is going under the water? Because a little kid don't know. They're just trying to, you know, oh, where's my goldfish, right? And then all of a sudden, hey, funny. now I can't breathe because the water is over my head and I yep. need mom to save me. But what if mom was busy, you know, making someone's bed at the old folks home at that moment? Movie ends real quick. So uh, re- she grows the weird, her weird appendages, her weird mm-hmm. chicken appendages. Um uh, the what is this the the is this where the magician turns her back into a fish but she refuses yes. to be turned back to, into a fish yep. and he instead... has a, a great many various elixirs on his mantelpiece mm-hmm. and uh, yeah. he needs more power in order to revert her back from sort of the chickeny form to fish form so he goes and he chugs because a couple she's of these tasted jugs. blood yes. <laughs> he's got the yes. taste for human right. blood his his blood has infected her dna and so he has to chug a couple of uh, vials of mystery liquid and that allows him to squeeze her back down into fish form. Right. Uh, you skipped over the home segment where uh, Lisa and Sosuke go home and she makes dinner and then uh, she's sad because her husband isn't coming back and they do the signaling with the and captain's, the boy with the captain's hat on. We're cutting, we're cutting back and forth here because yeah, yeah. So the, she wasn't, maybe she wasn't meant to live in a bucket after all. And they go back to the house at the top of the hill. Dad <laughs> is a sailor. He can't come home. They communicate in a beautiful scene. Uh, she's mad and won't talk to him, but uh, but Susuke will flash using the 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 flashing. I don't know what that's called, but it's the like fla- whether it's Morse code or semaphore or whatever. It's it, it, a signal light, yeah, pulsing signal light to the ship, and and they communicate back and forth. And I think that's an adorable scene where the the mother is is grumpy, but the kid is going to talk to talk to his dad, and uh, you know, there's you know, dad cares. You know, Ponyo cares too. This is this is a big uh, theme in Miyazaki's work, understandably, from based on his age. Young boys who wear a militarized slash navy hat that belongs to their father. Well, you know what I mean. Like that, that you see in a lot mm-hmm. of Japanese animation, people who are children at the end of World War II who had uh, their fathers were fought in World War II and they have the uniforms and the hats, and the little kids wear that in the father's absence. Totally happens in this movie too. Uh, it's very a very common image, and in this in this bit with the English and Japanese translation, so there's a signal. And I think it is Morse code. I'm not quite sure, but one of the scenes in the original movie is the mom getting angry and eventually coming up and say, "You know what? I will go talk to him." And she gets up and she bangs away at the light. And I forget what do they have her say in English? Bug it's off, jerk in the subs. Bug yeah, well, so what, what she actually <laughs> signaling is B A K A, baka 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 baka, which is fool <laughs> in in uh, in Japanese. 
And that totally works with her, what she's doing. But it, what they have her do in English makes absolutely no sense with what she's banging mm. on the light. And it just looks like she's banging nonsensically. I guess they couldn't change the animation to fit that. But right. yeah, that's a great scene because she's mad. And then eventually she overcomes her madness to go over to the thing and, you know, yell at him or whatever. Maybe that's the equivalent of just an exclamation mark, dollar sign, pound sign. <laughs> she's cursing at him. Because B-A-K-A, I think, works in Morse code as a... An angry thing that you can tap mm. out or whatever whereas whatever she was saying english isn't but then but she still loves she still loves sosuke and they they have they have each other comfort while right. dad is out presumably making the money and you can tell sosuke has been in this position before yep because like his dad calls and you know like butter your mom up for me and he's like mm. <laughs> yeah you know it's not putting your kid in the middle of your marital disputes great meanwhile at the lair yes we have the uh uh, I want be, I want to be human, and the magician says, "Well, I was a human myself, but uh, I got over it." And she demands, <laughs> "Ponyo demands ham." She Don't poop, we all? This is where she poops out her arms and legs. Oh no, you've got mm. the taste for human blood. Revert, revert. Yeah. And then we get the whole elixir thing, where it's like, "Oh, uh, Chekhov's elixirs, elixirs again, right?" Oh, well, yes, put them yes. in this chamber where nobody will get them. Well, mm. guess what is going to happen? Ponyo gets sucked into the elixir chamber. Oh, they're trying to end the era of humanity. By the way, that's a thing that's going on in the background. All the Baby Ponyos turn into big water fish, but Ponyo becomes a human, and uh, and uh, then a lot of water comes because they've upset the balance of nature apparently, and uh, and yeah, that's uh, and then Ponyo uh, Ponyo returns. The fish get big. Yes, during the scene where he's drinking his elixirs, um, somehow this upsets the balance that's holding his little bubble that he lives in together, mm-hmm. and his crab shields weaken, which is mm-hmm. yep. probably the most disturbing thing in the movie when like a little hole has opened in his bubble and just this massive pile of crabs comes crabbing yep. into the room. My elixirs, no! His, his elixirs. <laughs> My understanding of the elixirs is it's like, like he's he's saving them up. Like he's got doors, but like they say, like nineteen oh seven on the door. He's been mm-hmm. saving these things for like a hundred years or whatever. He's building up all these elixirs, and you know, as as Jason said, and I said at the start of the program, this project is to end all human life. Yes, let's not gloss over that. Like that is right. that is the goal of this project, <laughs> right? And also usher in a new era of the sea. And so what this elixir stuff does is, hey, we used to have awesome sea creatures before these stupid humans were here. So this elixir sort of turbocharges the sea. So anything that's in the sea now, we get the giant prehistoric awesome versions of it. So the fish get bigger, the crabs get bigger and meatier, and everything looks all, I don't know, paleolithic or whatever era it is that all these little, you know, reptile-looking fish everywhere, right? And I, I suppose, I mean, I don't know what the goal is. Like, if you're not supposed to use it all at once, then how are you supposed to use it? Is he going to use it slowly and slowly have the fish take over? It seems like Ponyo basically executed the plan, which is, yeah, dump all the elixir in the thing and supercharge the sea and end all human life and make giant sea monsters come out from everywhere. And by the way, now Ponyo's human. Well, I think the well has to be full before he can completely overcome, you know, the, the yeah. taint of humanity and 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 allow the sea to completely, you know. And, and, and so when she drains it, when it's only like half full or whatever, then the effect is, well, the immediate effect on Ponyo is she's got magic powers. And then any of the other fish that happen to swim into the well, you know, are, are, are turned. Uh, yeah you know, ancient looking. Um, but I think he has been all along kind of doing uh, little bits and pieces of, of, of uh, you know, turning things sort of sea-oriented because I think that opening scene where, as I noted, he's dripping goo onto plankton, I think the implication there is that those plankton are, are he's turning them into moon jellies. 
Uh, which is why that gigantic sea of moon jellies mm-hmm. is rising up from his bubble. Yeah, they show them popping and getting bigger and doing all that stuff. Yeah, I, I think there's some sort of like short-term stuff that he's doing like that just to kind of, I guess, maintain the sea's integrity while he, you know, sort of works on all these elixirs to later destroy all of humanity and take <laughs> and have the sea take over. Yeah, I'll get to As it. As you do. This leads to one of the, I think, I don't know what pictures were in his head when he was making this movie, but when I think of this movie, this is one of the most iconic scenes where the waves are giant fish and she's running on top yeah. of them, which is an yeah. extremely surreal and beautiful and ridiculous and fun sequence and scene where, like, the water is alive, but the water is fishes. <laughs> and which and are actually her sisters which are her sisters yes right and she's running on top of them especially the later parts where they're chasing the car up the road and the fish would jump onto the road and splash and just become water because that's what happens when water just goes onto the road and then she would jump off of that one onto the next one and that would jump onto the road sacrificing itself just so incredibly imaginative exactly the Miyazaki stuff you're looking for that had no precedent visual precedent as far as I'm concerned in anything that I've ever seen so whenever I think of this movie I think of that scene in particular. And the whole time she has that sort of grin on her face, that that expression <laughs> that, I mean, at this point, she's basically turned into May from Totoro. <laughs> she has the same face, but she has red hair and the, pretty much the same personality. You, you think all animated faces look the same. That's she's racist. identical. She's not identical. I'm gonna, I have this grid of, I'm going to send you a nice grid of pictures. Oh, Here are okay. all Can't of the, the female protagonists of Miyazaki. And yes, they all have eyes and a nose and a mouth. Wasn't that their... <laughs> Their face shapes are different. Their hair colors are different. Their eye colors are different. Their eye shapes are different. Everything about them is different. They're just drawn with a few lines. Mm, but I don't different. know. She's all, she'll always be made of me. This portion of the movie is spectacular. This is where we get all of the... the we- you get your weather. Mm-hmm. You get your weather. You get your, your lashing, you know, the storm here. This is where mom makes the questionable crossing of the uh, yeah. of the bridge, don't do that. Don't go take your car down into rushing water. She well, she abandons the old people's home too because she, she was at work, and it was like this cozy scene at work where all they're getting the old people comfortable, and it, the power has gone out, and they'll have their blankets, and they're looking out through the the glass window at the bad weather, but they're all snuggled up inside. It's very Miyazaki yeah. moment. But then she eventually, like her her friends at work, say it's okay, you can go, and then that's where she says, okay, well, I'm, I think this is a great time for me to drive home, and it's not. So I lived in, you know, Phoenix for 13 Mm -hmm. years. And one of the things that happens in Phoenix is monsoon season where it rains a lot. And all of the arroyos turn into places where every storm people are like, it's just a little bit of water. What's going to, you know, what could possibly happen? They get swept up and they drown. And so I'm thinking about like living in the desert. So these people living by the sea where presumably with the tide coming in and out and storms and whatever, maybe there's flooding in these low areas. And she's just like, I'll wait a second till the tide goes out a little bit, but then I'm going to go through. And I just, with my five-year-old in the car, um, (laughs) I just, I I don't know. Like I'm not a parent, but that seems really questionable to me. I mean, the real problem is, like, why does she feel the need that she has to go home? She could have just stayed at work. I mean, she, there's people there that she needs to take care of. There are people that are taking care, and she's like, I got to get my five-year-old home. No, you don't. I mean, I, in the end, it ends up being a good plan because they end up going in high ground. But, yeah, she's she's being de- – and the problem is the giant wave comes in, right? So normally it's just like, oh, yeah, there's water, and it's windy, and I drive through this rain all the time, and I'm used to it. But then, essentially, a tsunami starts coming. Everyone else bails, and she's like, well – I, you know, if I stay right where I am, like the crossing thing, if I don't cross right now, 
I'm going to get swept away by the tsunami. So she waits for the thing if anyone's ever been to the ocean. When a big wave comes, the water goes out first. So she mm-hmm. waits for the water to go out from the big wave, then plows across it and basically saves her child by doing that crossing. So it's not like she was doing something risky by a crossing. She's doing something risky by leaving work. But I don't even remember in the plot of the movie why they said that she needed to get home. Maybe it was to... Well, she later says, at least in the subtitle version, that their house is used as almost a lighthouse when there's yeah. stormy mm-hmm. weather. And they're, they're expected to be kind of a beacon. Um, but then, you know, she takes off and leaves her kid in charge of the beacon <laughs> to go check on the old people. Yeah, then she goes back. So I'm not sure how important that task really is. I think it's mostly just to get the scene of her driving up the mountain. Like I said, with Ponyo jumping from fish head, to water fish head to water fish head, which is just an amazing scene. But with uh, the story right of, right of the Valkyries of basically it. playing in the background while that's happening. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I... Um, uh, Lee and I had the same thought as you, actually. Uh, probably a street that you've even been on in uh, in that the, where you used to live that ha- mm-hmm. goes down and then comes back up, and there's big signs that say, "Do not do not go in the water if there is water here." <laughs> like you will yeah, die. in Queen Creek, <laughs> Ellis Road. Yeah, mm-hmm. there are a few what places happens here in San Diego when there's like an inch of rain, people <laughs> end up yeah. getting swept away in their it's cars. Like it's not good. They... That's a drainage. Don't don't drive there. Um, there there is though the uh, the Ponyos chasing the car, and and though they lose the bucket. No, no bucket, no plastic bucket. Uh, and uh, yeah, and then Ponyo is there and she's human. And uh, mom's like, do you know this little girl? Who is she? Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, this is Ponyo, but she came back. She was a fish, but now she's a little she's girl. She's a little girl now. Sure. Yeah. And then mom's like, okay, she's fine, like, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> of course. Nor does she feel compelled to ask, where are your parents, little girl? Until mm-hmm. much, much later after knowing Ponyo. So yeah. Lisa's got interesting yeah. priorities. And your feet are like hands. Figure. Um, and, and the end of the storm is, is, is threatening, uh, Sosuke's, uh, uh, dad, but, um, but, and, and Ponyo says, is he an evil wizard too? <laughs> it's like, no, he's a captain oh, We've got the part where, where yeah. Sosuke, yeah. the wind blows Sosuke over the guardrail oh, yeah, right. out into oh, the yeah. sea and, and he is caught by his mom by one hand, one hand. like your child was yeah. about to be eaten by the Little, ocean. <laughs> little, like, and, and she just lets it go. She's like, well, yeah. he's fine now. All right. Yeah. In the car you go. Yeah. Uh, so the, the art style in this movie in general is straight up Miyazaki, where it's essentially realistic but slightly stylized, but the sea is incredibly stylized. Like, I, you know what they're going for, and I don't think it ever feels incongruous, but the waves are like vertical lumps that are not even attempting to be realistic. They're entirely being trying to evoke the feeling of a, a, a sea swell or whatever, but they look nothing like actual sea swells, setting aside the fish, because obviously the fish are fantastical, but just like... When they're, you know, after they find Ponyo and bring her into the car and they're hanging out, but, you know, when he almost blows into the thing or whatever, the sea looks like vertical mount bales of hay, like just reaching up for the sky like giant hands with white caps on them. And it's another image that sticks in my mind that, like, it's nothing like the sea looks, but it is like how it feels to be next mm. to a big storm. Isn't that kind of a like a, a tradition of Japanese art, though, that kind of sea depiction? Like, I feel like I've seen old woodcuts. Yeah, the the, the credit sequence is very woodblocky, and of course, the only yeah. Japanese woodblock that anybody knows is the whatever, that the, the wave thing uh, in Japan. Uh, but I don't know if, if, like, that style of ocean is just the traditional style of drawing the ocean. I just know it from the movie Ponyo. Yeah, but it's, it's certainly reminiscent of that, at least for me, because that was the first thing that I thought of when I... There's a, a particular scene when they first get home, and they're kind of uh, tromping around, you know, turning on the stove and seeing if the water's still working. And out the window, you can see like these gigantic lumps of ocean that are piled up on top of each other, moving around. And that was yeah. the first thing that jumped into my mind was like the old, the old wood cl- woodcuts. Uh, Ponyo uses fish powder to fix the generator. 
<laughs> and uh, there's ham because ham magic is the best magic. That's what I'm going to say. <laughs> this is another, like in this movie, it has so many iconic Miyazaki things in it. This may be one of the coziest scenes in any yeah. of his movies ever, where the, outside the sea is incredibly huge storm and wind is lashing and the waves are going and you're on top of the hill and the wind is blowing and everyone gets dried off with their soft towels and we turn out, figure out how to get the power back on and then it's time for make dinner and you make some nice warm soup with ham in it and the kids get down. Like, yeah. It is incredibly the cozy. The big bowl with the soup and the, with the ham and the egg and all of that is really nice. Oh, the, the, I, I really like the, uh, the lamp. That's like the flashlight mm-hmm. that is plugged into the wall and you pull it out. We had a power outage here a couple weeks ago. And afterward, and we found our flashlights, but we don't have enough of them. And Lauren said, you know what I want is I want what the, what Ponyo has. Yeah. <laughs> I want the plug-in <laughs> flashlight thing. I want that. Like We're going to get a Ponyo light. She wants light. to wear it on her head. <laughs> In addition to being super cozy, this scene also has what kind of continues throughout the movie, but it's it's... Uh, Ponyo and to a lesser extent Sosuke like tromping around the house being goofballs and repeating mm-hmm. stuff and just being you know little kids and, and I love this bit so I love this so much when she's like hopping up on the couch and walking around on it and um, you know it reminds me very much of what is also one of my favorite scenes in Totoro which is Mei basically doing the same thing running around the house and shouting at ghosts and, and soot sprites yeah. and she gets tuckered out at the end just like Mei does right so she uh-huh. gets tuckered out at the end and and, and, and passes out basically because she's had a big day having you know turned into a fish and then back into a full human being meanwhile uh, dad is out on the ocean and we, we discover just how uh, serious things are uh, the moon is falling out of its orbit. Satellites are falling <laughs> out of the sky. A dangerous imbalance of nature has been created because of the, I guess, because of Ponyo. I don't know. <laughs> and the and the and there's the the scientist dad and the sea witch, sea spirit lady, um, and 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 it turns out Ponyo can live as a human uh, if she passes the test, and she won't destroy the world. Do they establish that at this point? I don't even. I think that no, might it's come said later. much later in to, like to one Steve's sentence. earlier point. But this this part this part <laughs> yeah. where we visit with the dad has another amazing scene that I can see being right out of a Michael Bay movie taken earnestly. But here it's just kind of like fanciful, where they're looking off in the distance and they think they see the lights of a city, but it's actually the lights of the collected boats that the giant yes. wave of the ocean has like yes. smushed together. And it's like that's not that's not the land. That is all the other boats that were in the ocean being collected yeah. up into this comical pile. <laughs> that's no mountain pile in water, spot, like plastic <laughs> yeah. bags. You know, I mean, really, like in a, in a in anything in any kind of more serious movie this would be like terrifying because not only is there all this crazy stuff going on but now you look it's it's basically interstellar didn't spoil us for interstellar yeah. but like, mm-hmm. like if you look up into the distance you think you see lights of the city and there's actually hundreds of container ships lights behind a you know massive you know seven mile high wall of water <laughs> there you have big problems that, no, that that's that, you know mom well mom departs to go to the senior center and then we get all these scenes and yeah we get that that's no mountainous water this is the, the the goddess of mercy comes and and uh you know they make that statement that the moon is so i love the insertion of science into this ridiculous thing the moon is so close <laughs> its gravity is forcing the water to ride and i, I just wrote down or it's magic it's fine yeah, if it's I mean, magic it's <laughs> It's basically it's Majora's Mask, so it's, like whatever. It's fine if it's magic, but um, but this is the point where it's like the wizard finds them and he's upset, but he's knocked off by various Ponyos. Ponyo, he, he reveals that Ponyo broke into the elixirs and opened a hole in reality and made it herself a little girl. And the de- declaration is, you must remove the human in her or the planet is doomed, but let's test the boy. 
And if if they fail, then she'll turn into sea foam. And I'm like, ah, yes, Little Mermaid, there it is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, that's it. Let's test the boy because if there's a true bond between them, then uh, they won't destroy the world. And <laughs> then Ponyo. something, something bylaws. Something, something. something. <laughs> well, but you know, let's we've devised this, so uh, it'll be great. An octopus sneaks into the house because the water continues that. to rise. Yeah. It's beautiful. <laughs> I love that so much. A fish is driving down the road. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Things are happening. There's a lot of flooding. There's a they they go seeking out the mom, and so that you you get this really nice segment of the movie where they're they're like on their they they blow up the little toy boat to be the big boat, and they meet a family in a different boat, and the baby has a cold. And this is a side quest, by the way, in the Ponyo video game, which is you meet these people, and it's like, do you heal the baby? And Ponyo heals the baby, <laughs> which makes Ponyo sleepy again. She needs more ham, probably. Uh, speaking of that boat, like, what do we think the odds are that Miyazaki had that exact toy boat? Oh, he was a child. 100%. This, this is 100%. not a toy from the modern era. Like the idea no. that you give a, a kid a toy that with an open flame powering it. Yeah, this like is the like boat a... where you put the candle underneath it and it heats up the water and it creates steam. Right. And that, it, that's like a World War II era yeah. toy. That on the other like hand, that's entirely on point for something that Lisa would buy her son. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I like the bit when they set off on that journey where they 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 go out the door and like as you know the the water level is exactly like just below floor level of the house, yeah. which is really convenient for them. And they both stick their heads in the water yeah. to mm-hmm. check out what's down there. And what's down there is like prehistoric, you know, fish swimming. Ancient fish. Again, again, terrifying. Most of these fish would eat them, but uh, not in this movie. That that scene where they come across the parents and the baby and the, the, the mom is like, oh, the baby really likes you. And the baby looks like it is shooting daggers. <laughs> through Ponyo like that baby had a death wish for that fish girl and the mom's like oh no no this Mm. this signal I'm getting adoration baby really likes you I mean it's a tough baby like this that I think this is also this is another Miyazaki I think he's done this a couple other movies the tough baby sometimes you get a tough baby (laughs) sometimes you do yeah I guess (laughs) I think the the baby can see Ponyo's true nature I think the baby Uh, sees the the chicken the chicken fingers with a wise wise baby yep yeah. And then all of these adults letting these kids just go. They're like, all right, well, we're all going to high ground. You two have fun. Good luck, little kids in a toy boat that's giant. Bye. So the water yeah. has overwhelmed this entire island. By mm-hmm. any standards in any realistic context, this is an incredible disaster. And they're yes. out like they're on a pleasure boat. She's got her parasol. They're all dressed to the nines. Yep. Like your, your home and everything you know, and probably most people you know, are all dead now. And you're just like, well, we're just all on our boats because on this island, we're used to it flooding to the level of 700 feet every once in a while. And we just went out on a boat with our straw hat and our sundress and our cranky baby. <laughs> and we'll have some of this drink and it's like this doesn't make any sense the magician is at the old folks home and now they can run um he says he's testing them and this is very important they go through a tunnel and ponyo turns back into a fish because now they're underwater and it's time to test uh them to see if sosuke and ponyo really are friends or whatever um (laughs) And uh, there's one of those moments of like, you know, Ponyo is a fish, right? It's like, uh, yeah. All right. Well, to be human, you must abandon magic. Kiss the bubble. And hooray. Thank you very much, Ponyo's money. Goodbye. Go go in your bucket. Good luck, Lisa. Bye. Later. See ya. The end of Ponyo. It's sort of like, this is, this is that moment where it's like, okay, what is happening? They're underwater. Here's the test. There's a bubble. It's fine. Goodbye. And now, Lisa, uh, how are you going to break it to your husband that you've you've got a ponyo now? 
<laughs> he's got to be at sea all the time. He's got to yeah. expect sometimes he comes home and there's a new fish daughter. <laughs> and the, the fish daughter is betrothed to your five-year-old. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just so you know. There's a lot that happens here, and yet it's just like. Well, what? there's also that the the old folks have been whisked away to the bubble, and yes, and they can run. They can run. Ailments cured. They're, and they're, they're breathing healed. underwater. Yes. Yeah, that's the cocoon uh, segment. Yeah. There's the bit where there's the bit where Sosuke. There's the bit where the cranky old woman Toki or whoever her name is. She didn't want to go down there because she's she's skeptical of the whole thing. So she's still on dry land, and the only reason she ends up coming down is because her her love for Sosuke makes her run and try to save him, despite the fact that they're both going to be overwhelmed by the water, and that's what yeah. finally gets her down into the water. Yeah. Like that that's subplot is not particularly developed, but it is. And it, there is an attempt made to resolve it here before we move on to the next subplot, which will be very quickly resolved. Mm-hmm. I, I like that at the end, the because um, the wizard told Sosuke he, he had to kiss the bubble, you know, to like to seal the deal. But it was Ponyo who kissed him from her and inside the bubble, um, and then that's the end. You know, She's very forward. I thought that worked. <laughs> yeah, right. and th- at least in the subtitles, there's a line here that pretty much sums it up. Now the planet is safe again. Oh, right. <laughs> that. Not for sure now. why or what happened exactly. But... I mean, I assume that the 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 magician is still plotting the death of uh, of humanity. He's he's got to mm-hmm. spend another hundred something years making more of that elixir. More elixirs, oh, and yeah, also he's going to let his daughter time. live out her life as a human, and, and before calling mm-hmm. her back to the sea, and then destroying all the humans. Yeah, I feel like maybe he's been softened by this. Or maybe experience. maybe he likes the old folks, and he's like, oh, they, they're not so bad, the humans. Maybe they're not so bad. Maybe they, they, there's hope for, for humans yet. Maybe. Again, glossing over the fact that he can apparently cure all human ailments. Yes, with his fish powers. Did he do that? Because the queen of the sea or whatever she is was there as well. Do the people from the old folks' home, are they now rejuvenated and are they going to go back and be immortal uh, gods basically on land? Or are they just going to settle back in their chairs? Well, they they do go run up the stairs when they get back to land. Right. So. Maybe I think I think they're okay. I'm not sure why or what that has to do with anything. Like when Doctor McCoy gives that lady a thing that cures her her kidney in Star Trek Four, it's just it like regro- regrows the kidney. Yeah, some 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 old people in this one island uh, during the tsunami and flooding just uh, got cured of everything. So Boy, I'm looking <laughs> at the end of this movie and Miyazaki George Lucas the hell out of this thing in terms of okay, well I'm at the end of my movie. Uh, and I really like airplanes, and so far I haven't had a chance to put any in here. So the background of every single scene and for this sequence of the movie, it's helicopters is going to be filled with right. airplanes, helicopters. Now I, I want so this is the end of the movie, um, and I want to know what everybody th- thinks of the movie as a whole. But before I, I get there, I just want to say something that I thought was hilarious and also explains a lot about how Miyazaki viewed this movie, and it's from the Wikipedia page about Ponyo, and what it says is. Miyazaki wanted his next film to be Ponyo 2, but producer Toshio Suzuki convinced him to make The Wind Rises instead. Now, picture, if you will, you get to the end of this movie and you ask Miyazaki, well, Miyazaki, you did did this wacky movie. We finally did it. The wacky movie about the the goldfish that turns into a girl is over. What do we do next? And he's like, what do you mean? More Ponyo. And the producer's like... Could you consider not doing more Ponyo, please? <laughs> maybe. Just a thought. Maybe I, I not. Mean, I feel like, like, again, reading, maybe reading too much into the background documentaries and the making of this movie, but it, he, at various times, Miyazaki has said that he always felt pressure to 
uh, catch lightning in a bottle again, like I did with Totoro, who is, you know, very, very popular character in Japan, his most popular creation ever. And it's always like, are you ever going to make a character as beloved as Totoro? Now, from my perspective, as someone who loves his movies, I don't care about characters as beloved as Totoro. I, I, I view the movies as works in and of themselves. I'm not obsessed with one particular character or property, but it totally seems like Ponyo was an attempt to say, can I make an adorable, iconic character again? And the idea of Ponyo 2 is like, this is it. I'm going to do it. Like, Ponyo, Ponyo <laughs> yep. is the next Totoro, and she deserves a sequel. And that, I feel like, is just sort of the the, the desperation at the tail end of a career. It's like, you don't make sequels, man. What are you doing? Like, like <laughs> no, I got I to gotta recatch that Totoro magic. It's like, that's not why people are going to see your movie. So I'm, I'm very glad he made The Wind Rises instead. I view it as being that he just became super obsessed with Ponyo and just thought, I think life is Ponyo from now on. This is what it's going to be. I think she loves ham. She, mm, what else right? do you need? Yeah. She's crazy for ham. Ponyo is a weird movie, like I said at the top, and I'm curious. I want to go around and ask everybody, uh, after viewing Ponyo, what, what, do you think about, uh, what do you think about it? And what do you think, where, where does it fit in Miyazaki world? Aline? Oh, boy. Um, So like you, Jason, this was my second time watching it. Mm -hmm. And the first time I watched it was like right when it was available for home viewing in the U.S. And I hated it. Like viscerally, like had a physical reaction, hated it. Like it just made me angry. (laughs) It didn't it didn't make sense. Like I said, the character design bothered me even more then because I was not prepared for it in any way. Um, and I don't know if I am just like more open to whimsy 12 years later or what, but, or if I was just mentally prepared for it, Mm. I also did not have that visceral reaction and I didn't hate watching it, but there's a whole lot that doesn't make sense. And <laughs> and at the end of the movie, you have this five-year-old and this fish girl of indeterminate age who is presumably going to be raised as her brother. And, like, is the implication that they're, like, in love for the rest of their lives? Or is this, like, a close friendship? Like, well, the, what is The love, what, of, it's, the it's, love it's, of a sibling, I think. The platonic love of yeah. someone who gives the love one another of a hand. boy and a fish. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Tales um, of this time. <laughs> it, I mean, it, it's perfectly reasonable. She, he's given her ham, and and she's drunk his blood. So <laughs> it's pretty standard. That's how you seal the pact. That's, that's right. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, so I don't know. I I don't see myself rewatching this anytime soon. But I didn't hate it. Like I don't hate it anymore. <laughs> So that I that's don't hate all it I've anymore. Got, like, Raves yeah, like, that's, that's all I've got. I was actually really worried about recording this podcast because I don't like recording podcasts about movies I don't like. So I was relieved when I was like, oh, I can find good things to say yeah. about this. Um, so, I mean, that's that's where I am with right. it. It's it's fine. It doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, it doesn't stand up, I don't think, to a lot of scrutiny, but it is pretty. It's got a lot of cool moments like, you know, um, I think the character design for um, for the kids is pretty cool. You know, you can tell that people have studied, the animators studied kids in the way that they kind of animated their physicality. I really enjoyed watching. I liked watching the sea life, you know. So there there are things that I, I've, 
I think it's worth watching for, but it's not like a repeat viewing thing for me. Jean? Um, well, you know, when everybody was saying like, it was a weird movie, I was wanting to jump in and say like, I guess I haven't seen enough Miyazaki because, uh, you know, I have, I think I've seen five films and they're all weird. Like, uh, I haven't seen, you know, Totoro, Kiki, um, Howl's Moving Castle, uh, Spirited Away, etc. Uh, not etc. And this. So those, I never feel like these movies really hold together. And, and maybe some of the more manga like based ones do, but I enjoyed it. And I, maybe it helped me to go to this movie with like a five year old when it first came out. And he liked it. So, you know, there's so few Miyazaki movies you can show to kids that age. Um, and uh, I did enjoy uh, sort of like picking through some of the the reviews of this one. One said at the end that, you know, in its parents' advisories, they're like, this film contains strong imagery, although nobody's parents get turned into pigs. And I'm like, <laughs> yes, this is, uh, it's a good, I think it's a good kids movie. And I think it, you know, you already know that it's kind of Little Mermaid based. So does it, I don't think it needs a lot more plot, you know, in, in there. And I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was quite beautiful. Um, I love storms and ships and all of that. So um, I, I, yeah, I, I, you know, it's still, it's no Totoro, but well, Totoro is, is Totoro. Yeah. yeah. Steve? Uh, I was delighted by it. I, I really, really enjoyed it. Um, I get that the criticism that it's a little wacky and weird, um, you know, not, as Gene says, really that different from many other Miyazaki movies in that respect. Um, I, I get that there's not really any plot coherence here to hang on to, and that's kind of, you know, if you're looking for that, obviously this is not going to be satisfying to you. But as far as the striking imagery goes, as far as the just super charming characters of uh, Ponyo herself and Sosuke and the sort of fantastical, um, you know, sort of childlike fantasy of being able to blow up your toy boat and go float around in it, uh, you know, and sure, there's a flood, but everybody's still pretty happy and everything's, you know, uh, everything's pretty chill in that respect. Um it's just a huge amount of fun, I thought, and and um, none of the weirdness or the the lack of plot coherence really bothered me that much. Um, I, I think I mentioned it with regard to I, I want to say Spirited Away, but it could be any number of the weird ass Miyazaki movies we watched. But if you're just willing to kind of go with the weirdness and sort of let it wash over you, um, there's so much to like in this. I mm -hmm. I, I really dug it. Uh, I'm not sure if it's one that I would put you know, at the very top of my list, because I, I think I probably would put something that has a little bit more coherence up there, but it's, it, it was, it was just a delight. I liked it a lot. Now, before we go to John, I'm going to, I'm going to insert myself right here because my initial response was very much like a lean, which is I saw it and I didn't really like it. I thought it was super strange and kind of off-putting because I was like, it's this little mermaid, but it's just a little kid and all of that. I, did, I watched it and I was like, okay, that was a movie. And I moved on. And for this, I went back and watched it again, and I ended up feeling exactly what Steve just said, which is, I think maybe, as Aline said, maybe because I knew what I was getting into. Like, the first time I watched the movie, I was like, what the hell is this? Right? Like, I, I just had a whole visceral reaction of, like, I don't know 
what is going on? And I think my brain was just trying to make more sense of it than I think is necessary for a movie like this. And this time, I just, I delighted in how weird it is. And instead of being kind of repulsed by how weird it was, I, I sort of got into it. And it is a beautiful movie. It's quirky and whimsical and... Uh, yeah, it doesn't necessarily, there are lots of things that happen that are, that I, I find in some other Miyazaki movies, honestly, where I can't tell whether it's a cultural divide or whether it's that Miyazaki is pulling a fast one, because from my perspective, it could be either. It's like, this thing happens, and I'm like, oh, okay, I guess. <laughs> and uh, so it did. And so it did, and that's, and you just move on. But like, this time through, I just all those things that I kind of repulsed me the last time. I just I just giggled at them this time because it's just like yes, it's a fish and now it's a person with weird chicken legs and like I just I don't know I I, I have embraced the weirdness of Ponyo now and while I wouldn't say it's a top shelf Miyazaki, um, I feel like it it it's higher up on my list than um than it certainly it was before. And I feel like it has some of the magic that some of his great movies have. It's not as good as they are. And it doesn't really hold together in some of the ways that the other ones do, because the other ones I think maybe are a little less incidental that are like focused on incident. They're a little more just sort of like stuff happens and people live their lives. And isn't it nice? And this one's like, well, no, the world may end and there's a flood and there's, you know, this question about whether she's going to stay or go and all of that. And, and so uh, maybe I think the, the trying to tie it all together uh, paradoxically makes it kind of come apart. But um, I I don't know. I, I was more, much more charmed by it and, and appreciative of the beauty of it than I was the first time. Um, so, Just out of curiosity, how see. many other Miyazaki movies had you seen before you saw this well, the first time? Uh, fewer, fewer. I think I had only seen the the. I, I think I had only seen Totoro, Kiki, and uh, Spirited Away when I saw it. And now, I, and now, thanks to John, I have seen many, many more Miyazaki movies than that. And and maybe that's part of it too, is understanding the larger context here. But uh, but yeah, I I. I kind of had that same trepidation Aline was talking about going into it. And then I came out of it. I was like, oh, it, yeah, that was great. It was ridiculous and weird and fun uh, and delightful. So, yeah, I end up uh, being, I'm I'm pro Ponyo. I can't believe I'm saying it, but there there it is. John, what about you? Tell us, tell us, you, you made us wait until now to see Ponyo. Tell us how you feel about Ponyo. As I hope it's clear from the, the rest of the podcast so far, this movie has tons of that Miyazaki magic in it, tons yeah. of scenes and vignettes that just stick in my memory and that are just the perfect distillation of many sort of great feelings from Miyazaki movies, right? I, you know, and so I don't hate this movie and I, there's nothing in it that I, that I actively dislike, even the weird Ponyo and the chicken feet, I'm on board for all of it and like, you know, so many good scenes. But the reason I push this off for so long is it's, it's very low down in my personal sort of uh, ranking of the movies. One, partly because it is, I feel like, I'm not gonna say it's a kids movie like it's more yes nothing particularly dramatic happens or whatever but I think the thing that characterizes it is that uh, unlike the movies of uh of his that I love so much this this movie is relentlessly up like there is no real melancholy in this movie there's drama and danger of the big waves and the storms but a very sort of safe kind of danger not too much peril in particular but there is no melancholy right even think of something like spirited away which is a very similar sort of loosely pieced together plot that you don't really need to understand i think 
like we keep saying, oh, this this doesn't have a coherent story. Neither really dispirited away other than my parents are pigs and that seems like a situation I should deal with. <laughs> uh, and then along the way, I meet a bunch of people, right? But I feel like Spirited Away has an emotional coherence that this doesn't for for two reasons. One, the you know the the, the melancholy aspect of Spirited Away, right? And two, that that aspect is powered not just by the scenery and the music, but also by a character that we follow that has an inner life with ups and downs. Uh, you know, uh, Chihiro is in a very stressful situation. She cries. She's upset that her parents have changed into pigs. She's scared of things. She's determined to get out of it. She meets strange people. She's alone. She makes new friends, right? Compare that to the character life of the two ostensible protagonists here, Sosuke and Ponyo, are just basically upbeat, cheery kids. The kid gets a little, the, the boy gets a little bit of characterization of that he kind of misses his dad and has to be the man of the house with the mom there who's broken up over it. But I feel like the mom has a more relatable to me character, right? And all these things don't matter to a kid. Kid just wants to see a movie with awesome Miyazaki stuff with a bunch of little kids, and that's all they need to relate. But almost any other movie, regardless of how scrambled the plot is, like Howl's Moving Castle or whatever, have characters that have an inner life that is more sophisticated than the supposed main characters in this movie and have, for me, a deeper emotional resonance with emotions other than just excitement and whimsy, Right. And so that combines to make this movie, and then you have the plot stuff where like, I feel like he tried to over-explain this a little bit and make up these rules or whatever, but honestly, if everything else worked better, that wouldn't bother me as much. So I feel like this movie is just, if you had to draw it again, I'm drawing graphs today, it doesn't have the big peaks and valleys. It is more, It has more of an even keel. And during that even keel, tons of that Miyazaki whimsy and magic that we love. And if you're in a light mood and just want to see some weird stuff and enjoy some visuals, this can do it for you. But what I'm looking for for a Miyazaki movie is, I guess, a little bit more pathos and a little bit more emotional sophistication and and and, nope. me- and melancholy <laughs> and you know, just I don't know. Like, just think of all even think of even like Totoro, like the the darker scenes where they're looking for May and their music is going and the sun is setting and they're she's running through the dirt with her bare feet, like. I need that in my Miyazaki movies, like, and and this one doesn't have any of it, and so I think it is probably, uh, you know, if if that's what you're looking for, mostly up, no no big valleys, but also no real peaks and just lots of fun, it's fine. But for me personally, I just I never disliked it, like you know, I don't I don't dislike it, but I don't know if I would choose to watch it. I would I would definitely choose to show it to a young child. My kids watch Ponyo like crazy, like I mean, they watched all these like crazy, like subjected slash allowed my children to watch all of these movies maybe perhaps too early but i think that is its best conduct is like if you want to show a young person in your life this movie or if you're in the mood and don't have the emotional capacity for anything other than something that's light and fluffy and whimsical other, other than the driving better. in the water and almost falling but off I, but i feel like that sides. is the the exciting cartoon peril where like yeah right. it's dangerous but there's you never have any yeah. fear that the mom is gonna die i like maybe a little kid would or whatever like but just from from an adult perspective, it doesn't have it doesn't have the stakes or the danger. Even something like Castle in the Sky, where there's the the bad you know the bad military guy and the pirates, and there's a little bit more you know people are shooting things with bombs. Like this is much more sort of tame than that. Um, you know. Anyway, that's like I have what I have mixed feelings on it. I feel like I feel like for me it's a little bit flat. But I would never tell someone they shouldn't watch this movie. Yeah just because there's so much good stuff in it. And I do think it benefits from what all of you said, which is like, 
if this is the first one you watch, you're like, is this what they all like? They're not all like this. And after you watch a bunch of them and come back to this, you will be able to really soak in like that scene where they come in from the rain and get the towels on their heads and get a big bowl of ramen and use the little light and get the water work. Like that is just gold, but you have to be ready to receive that. And you're, maybe you're not ready to receive that if this is the first Miyazaki movie you're, you've seen. But if you're five years old, you're probably ready to receive that all the time. And sometimes I just want to watch a transformed goldfish girl walk over a couch with an emergency <laughs> light on her head. Yep. You know, thinking about it, I think if I flip my perspective a little bit or if I change my paradigm a little bit, it helps me accept the movie a little bit more. And if I think of it as as like the children telling the story, it feels a lot better to me than if you have, you know, the omniscient narrator telling the story. But if instead we have like these two stories from the perspective of these children um, telling their truth as opposed to like an objective truth, then it's like, oh, yeah, of course it feels a little disjointed and weird. Um, and maybe that's that's all I need to like it a little bit better is is just flipping that a little bit in my head. Yeah, the weird logic and stuff that that to hold this movie together does kind of feel like it was constructed by a five year old. Yeah, it really does feel like it was it was written from a child's perspective. I mean, the the other perspective is like if 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 a, if, if these are five year olds who don't who have had a life that has not yet led them to understand what danger is and that nothing really bad can happen and they're not particularly interested in the inner life of other characters like it is it is a very childlike perspective on everything that happens right so what's actually happening is horrific but their perspective is like well i've only been alive for five years so as far as i'm concerned this is a thing that happens once every five years at least uh so we're, now we're in a boat uh i mean it doesn't explain the the mom and dad with the parasol and the grumpy baby and they're just chill too but i mean maybe that's just the way they look they've the been through kids. it before yeah, yeah. they know they, they know the deal they've, they've been through the, uh, the the end of humanity before, yeah. Uh, but but no, I, I, getting, I have this final frame on here. With the, the other thing that bothered me the first time I saw it, this bothered me less and less each time, but I feel like is a narrative weakness, is, you know, what's the deal with Ponyo and Sosuke? Like, are we, are we yeah. supposed, is, is he trying to pitch a romance story between five-year-olds? Because that does not work. That's what hit me the first time, but the second yeah. time it didn't bother me because right, I just, but, I knew it wasn't going to be that and that it's really about some sort of platonic and really ultimately sibling um, love between the two of them that, that saves the day, not anything more than that. I mean, I know, but it's, it's just kind of strange and slightly off-putting because the movie leans hard in that direction and just kind of like, but if you just roll with it, it's fine. But like it just, the story, like in a traditional story with stakes and everything, it, it's not structured that way. It's not, it's not really set up with like, here is the central conflict and here is the rebel person doing it. Like you just look at, you know, Princess Mononoke or Castle in the Sky or any of those, the Nausicaa, like those have a much more traditional structure with the hero working within that kind of plot. And in this movie, that story is kind of there, but the movie, it's like they, it's like if you asked Miyazaki to explain what the plot is, he probably couldn't do it because he was just kind of making it up as he went along and it just ends up on this weird tapestry. And it doesn't matter if that's, if you're a little kid, you're like, you don't care. Like, cool things are going to be explained in Ponyo 2. <laughs> right. Maybe Ponyo, <laughs> oh, Ponyo 2 would be from the adult perspective. Mm. But. Anyway, like I, I don't, I don't want to dump on this, dump, dump on this movie because it's just, it, I've always, I've always been ambivalent about many aspects of it, and because I love the other ones so much, they end up pushing this one down pretty far. Wow, weird. We're in the weird position of liking a Miyazaki movie more than John Syracuse. I don't know what's going on here. Yeah, that that may happen. I mean, I, 
I said at the beginning of this thing, I think maybe offline to Jason, that in general, I ordered these movies according to what was my favorite. So yeah. we kind of did the ones that I loved the most very early now on. We're, now and we're as we here. keep going, it's not really going to go Now it's Ponyo time. Unless he, makes, unless he makes new movies, we're just going to keep going down to ones that I am more ambivalent about because all I right. love all these movies. But, you know, everything's relative. All right. Well, I know one thing. Ponyo loves ham. So let me thank my... <laughs> panelists for being here in this episode of the incomparable and our miyazaki club i guess you've heard it here first folks it only gets worse from here uh <laughs> Aline sims thank you so much for being here thank you i think my favorite character is the octopus in the house love the octopus so good so good well i hope it got back out to sea before uh the water receded jimmy mcdonald thank you thanks for having me steve lutz thank you now the planet is safe again we did it Yay, we did it, everybody. And uh, John Syracuse, thank you. Magic sets you free, Jason. Ponyo loves ham is what I'm saying. Thanks for listening to The Incomparable. Everybody, we'll be back next week with something probably a little less weird. Bye. Bye.